Hello, everybody. It's Nick Rothwell here, and I'm just going to give a little introduction to the Tough Through Tender Critical Conversations podcast series and give you a little bit of context of how it all came around. This is completely unscripted, and it's I'm just going off the cuff. Um, so I have now, at nearly 52 years old, dedicated my life to trying to help people, help people avoid uh, many of the pitfalls that I fell into and couldn't get out of for a long time. So um, I had to do a lot of looking back at my life and seeing you know, where I could identify certain challenges so that I can help other people again, try to avoid them. Um, and it was when I was 40 years old that I had recognized when I stopped playing ice hockey that I had lost a large part of my identity. And I started to do other things to be able to fit in. And a lot of them were very harmful. Uh, and I had these fears, these immense fears of, of failure, of not fitting in, of not being accepted, of losing the little that I had or not getting the things that I wanted. And, um, and it was in this, this, this fear that I looked for ways to cope with it. And for me, it was uh, in a bottle. And the consequences of my drinking, which were all, I drank a lot, but the consequences of my drinking just, just kept getting worse. And I still had no ability to be able to say that I had uh, challenges over alcohol use. So this was the first indicator, stopped playing sport, becoming disconnected. And I had this idea, but way back when I was 40, so 12 years ago, that I wanted to create a, an awareness campaign to help ex-athletes. Uh, dealing with the loss of identity and, um, you know, when they stop playing their sports and how, you know, many turn to alcohol use, drug use, gambling and other forms of, of ways to feel connected when they've lost this this connection in, a, in a, from a changing room. And um, it was just the, the, this, the beginning of an idea of an awareness campaign, telling stories, but then also creating some kind of platform for people to come to where... Um, where they could have some transformation. I, I likened the idea to The Biggest Loser, you know, that show where they take five, pe six people who are struggling with their weight and they, they give them mentors and then in a year they transform their lives. Well, that was kind of the idea with, with coming up with some kind of awareness campaign with these ex-athletes. Um, but then that idea was just parked and uh, it went on the shelf because I wasn't done the journey of excessive alcohol use in my life and I needed to go through through certain things trials and tribulations to get to where I got to when I was 45 years old when I finally reached out for help and it was in reaching out for help that I really identified that my challenges started before I ended the ice hockey and it went right back to early childhood and growing up in a home where it was, there was a lot of love, but it was quite scary at times. My dad, when he drank, uh, could be a, quite a scary man. And I just remember being a scared child. Not so much scared of him, but scared of the things that, that happened when he had a drink. Um, and I protected myself the best way that a, a six, seven, eight-year-old child can, you know, with defense mechanisms. And those defense mechanisms, all the way back then, were really in like crazy things like, you know, stealing. I, I stole so much. I would, I would steal things that I didn't need. 
And I know now I recognize it as being a, a way that I could get some kind of power, some kind of agency in my life way, way back then when I, I felt like I had no agency. And, um, and I became a liar. Like I would lie when t- telling the truth would serve me better and, um, and just manipulate. And, and I, would, I was a really great fantasizer too. I could get into my head and just pretend I was somebody else. And I grew into a fairly athletic body above average. And I used sport as a way to, to get my father's approval and also keep me out of the house. So I played a lot of sport. And it turned out that ice hockey um, could be a sport that enabled me to leave Canada and come to the UK because ice hockey was growing in the UK in the late 80s. And uh, that was the plan. It was when I turned 18 was to, to move to England. And I recognize that now is just a, a way of me escaping. And I moved to England and as an 18-year-old, and, and those defense mechanisms that I had back as a kid, like this idea that I could, I could lie my way in and out of any situation, grew into these uh, assets. You know, I could manipulate people. And, you know, when I was 18 years old, the first kind of big manipulation that I had worked in my favor it was a lie. I, I ended up moving to Doncaster in South Yorkshire. My uncles and aunties said, Nick, you should get a job. There was an ice rink that had opened up. And uh, I went down to the ice rink and I said, can I have a job? And they said, well, we're looking for somebody who can drive the Zamboni, you know, the machine that cleans the ice. And I said, oh, I, of course I can do that. I'm Canadian. And uh, folks, I didn't know where the key went in to start these machines. But this lie gets me a job. And with this job, you know, way back in 1989, 12,000 pounds a year, um, people were saying, Nick, you should go get your own place to live. And, and I went down to a, a, a high street bank and... I saw a mortgage advisor and she was pretty and I took her on a date and that date swung the mortgage in my favor and at 18 years old I got a mortgage. So by the time I'm 18 I'm a homeowner, I've got a job and I've got it all through manipulation and lies. And this continued in my life, uh, you know, through my early 20s and to my mid-20s where I went to university and I was became very charming at university and I could push my deadlines back to my university um, professors and lecturers because I was playing ice hockey at the time and I used it as a balancing act, but just as a way really to cut, cut my slack and, um, and take advantage of it. And I got a degree in English literature and history from Winchester University. And in my third year at the university, Sky Sports started covering the ice hockey on TV, this, the ice hockey super league. And I noted the producer's name at the end of one of the shows. And, and this was way back in a time where you could phone uh, a network and get through. And I, I phoned the network and I, I said to this lady, my name is Nick Rothwell. I'm, I'm playing ice hockey for the Guildford Flames. I'm doing a media class at university. Can I come and watch you make a show? And of course, uh, that was a lie because I was studying English literature and history. But this lie gets me a foot in the jo- door. And ultimately, the job of a lifetime as a TV presenter for Sky Sports um, at that time, I'd also started uh, my life as an entrepreneur and, and starting some businesses. And by the time I was 27, 28 years old, you know, I, I had a Porsche. I had a flat on the river in Chiswick in London. Uh, I was dating a very pretty woman and, um, and I was shopped on Savile Row. I had my own TV show with Sky Sports. You know, on the outside, you would have said this guy had made it. But inside was that scared eight-year-old boy who felt like a fraud and an imposter and I didn't deserve any of it. It was also the time that I stopped playing hockey and all accountability in my life was gone. And it was in losing that accountability 
that I started to look for it in other ways. And I found it in the nightclubs in Soho in London with folks who were, you know, um, doing drugs and drinking martinis. And I remember when I first took part in those activities and these fears fell from me. I, it was like I could breathe. I could just, ah. Oh. And um, I never knew anything about alcoholism. I didn't know that it could run in families, but I recognized that when I had a drink, I had this this need to have more. And I would want more than my friends were having. And I'd want to go longer. And uh, I took drugs in a, as a way to enable me to drink longer. And the consequences at those times were, were, were hmm, they started to get bad right away. We, although it was fun in the nightclubs, I, you know, I was not faithful to my partner and she found out and she left me. And at that time, it was the biggest loss I'd ever had in my life. I, I remember going back to my flat and when I saw all her stuff gone, I, I hit the floor with my knees and I just bawled. And at that time, I, I remember, you know, I wasn't drinking so heavily that I didn't have it in the house, but I had a bottle, a couple of bottles of whiskey. And I remember taking a, a shot of whiskey. And I remember I also had some of that other white powder stuff. And the two of them went together with me and the tears dried up and I, I almost laughed it off. Well, I did. I laughed it off. And I said, it doesn't matter. And right then my head clicked that alcohol takes pain away. So from the time I was 30 to the time I was 45 years old, I did what any good alcoholic does is I, I moved, you know, I, I moved, did all these geographicals. If I moved, things would get better. But wherever I moved, um, I, my problems went with me. So uh, the consequence, I would, the story there was that I would go, I would move, I would build my life up. And uh, I would tear it down with a series of, of, of drinking sprees. And, and it brought me into some really dark places. Uh, detoxes, hospitals, and, and even a, a stint in jail. And um, actually, I could have had two stints in jail, but I was left off once by, by some magistrates who felt, so, felt sorry for me. And this was after my mom died in 2011. And then the second time was in Canada after I had uh, another breakup. And this time I ended up in a penitentiary in Southern Ontario with murders, rapists, drug dealers, wife beaters, burglars. And uh, how did I get here saying that to myself? But on the day of my release, I still went and drank. And drinking brought me into the rooms of a 12-step recovery program where I still felt different. I felt like nobody would get me. I felt either better than or worse than everybody else. And I was like, if you would have been through what I've been through, you'd drink too. It was this idea of separation where I now know that is the, the illness of alcoholism, which is this, this horrible denial and this way to navigate and negotiate in your head that you actually don't have a problem with alcohol, even though you've been to jail as a result of, of alcohol use. So I did that for a year and a half, really struggling. And it took this moment of... Um, well, it took, it took a run and I fi finally had gotten 30 days and, I, and I, I said to the guy who was sponsoring me through this 12-step program that I was going to go on a date and he said, Nick, brother, don't, don't go on a date and uh, you're just 30 days, just take it easy. And I was like, no, 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 I know best. And this woman, we were sitting across from each other having a pizza and she said, surely you can have a glass of wine with your pizza. And I had no yes or no, the, the, the wine was down my throat. And I 
didn't hear a word she said for the next two hours other than the fact that I was like, I only had one glass. I'm not a, I'm not an alcoholic. I only had one glass. And um, that led to me on an eight-month run where I was drinking a 26 of vodka a day and eating peanut M&Ms because I thought you could get the five food groups in a peanut M&M. And I was dying of dehydration, malnutrition, and uh, acute pancreatitis and liver failure. Um, and I woke up on the 28th of May, 2016. And uh, I think a surrender was given to me where I just kind of heard, you know, my room looked like something out of train spotting. I wasn't, I was in a squat, wasn't paying rent. And um, it was a horrible situation, but I felt this, this comfort. I felt like I was going to be okay. And I went, it took me three days to be able to walk. And I went to a meeting and the guy who was sponsoring me said, you know, Nick, I love you, but you're gonna have to try this with somebody else. And literally, a guy was walking up the stairs and I really recognized in him something. And, and I, I said those two words that saved my life. And they came out of my mouth for the first time at 45. Because I was always taught that real men don't ask for help. And real men sort out all their own problems. But I was so beaten that I finally said, help me. I said, help me to somebody. And I went through with this 12-step recovery program that's the foundation stone of my life today. But in it, and this is, this is one of the things that I say in it, I met two guys just at the beginning and we were all getting sober at the same time, Jose and Kevin, and we had accountability. We met before meetings. We were all working the steps. We asked each other how we were doing. We started doing other things. We went to yoga classes and spin classes and um, we had Taco Tuesdays. We started to do stuff. And uh, it was in that 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 idea from when I was 40 came around again is like, I need to build a platform for people to create accountability, the accountability that I lost in ice hockey that I gained in 12-step fellowship. And um, and that was where Retribe was born as a, a place to create accountability for people who had similar life challenges to then go through the transformational program so that they could live a more positive and productive and connected community-based life. So that's the story of how Retribe came around and it goes back to me wanting to create awareness. Uh, I have always loved interviewing people as a TV presenter and I was always, if anybody ever said I was good at one thing, it was good at making people feel comfortable and interviewing them. I don't really feel that yet. I think I'm still in the beginning part of, of reigniting that part of my life and my journey. So, you know, as there are so many millions of podcasts out there, I'm gonna stick my head above the parapet. And we've recorded uh, these six episodes that hopefully you're all about to hear as a way of just talking to people who other people can relate to. So this was the other thing that I found. I'm a big podcast listener, amazing podcasts. I love listening to podcasts, but you know, I don't want to say but because I, I don't want to be disparaging. So many of them are talking to people that, that I have a hard time relating to. So I want to create a podcast where I talk to people, where I say normal people uh, relate to people who just are living their lives and they want to identify with people who they can identify with so that if the little seed is planted that maybe I can change my life in a, in a for the better, then I'm going to try to do what these guys do. Uh, it's about building resiliency. 
through methodologies of compassion and vulnerability, not through these old school ways of, you know, to, of, of around toughness, which is, you know, I, I think can create quite harm, you know, this power down. If you don't do this, then you, you, you've got to do this. If you don't hit this time, then you got to do that. Um, punishment. So it's, it's not about punishment. It's about lifting people, uh, elevating people to, to be the best versions of themselves that they can be. And that's roughly what I want to try to do with, uh, with this podcast series is just make people feel comfortable listening to, to people tell their stories and, uh, and get in touch. And we can maybe embark on this, this, this journey of, of life together as an accountable tribe towards one another. Um, that's my ramblings of the introduction. Um, I've tried to keep it under 20 minutes. I think I've done that. So please enjoy this uh, first series of the Tough Through Tender Critical Conversations podcast series and let us know your thoughts. Let us know if you think there's anything we should change or, or add. I am completely open to everything. Let us know um, if you would like to be a guest on this uh, the next series and if you have some stories that you'd like to tell and, and, and maybe inspire some people in your tribe and, um, and get in touch if you are interested in the transformational program as well, the Tough Through Tender program. Thanks a lot. I wish you all great listening and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Bye for now.